0: First John was a letter written to early Christians in Ephesus who were in need of encouragement. John shows them and us that authentic followers of Jesus have three characteristics: right belief that exalts Jesus as the Son of God, right behavior to God's truth as revealed in God's word through God's Son and Spirit, and right brotherly love for those who claim to know Jesus. By this We know that we are true followers of Jesus by the way we obey, by the way we love others, by the way we have received the Spirit and have confidence in Him. All right. Well, I can report, if you were here last week, I can report that I got it right. I got Rachel the correct Valentine's Day gift, so whoo! Only took two reminders, didn't take a third. So in light of Valentine's Day, I have brought some daisies, and I want to talk a little bit about this old game that we used to play. Now, we're going to be in, if you want to look, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be doing verses 15 through 17. The title of our message this morning is, Who Do You Love? All right? Hopefully, by the time you leave here, you will know whether you love God or you love the world in my prayer is that you love God. But do you remember as a child, some of us have to go back further than others for this, but do you remember as a child that first infatuation you had, that first love that you had, that young lady in your elementary class or that young man in your elementary class? And do you remember going by and maybe it was mom's flowers or it was uh, the neighbor's flowers and you, <laughs> you run over and you you pick a daisy and then you start pulling those petals off, you know? And you're thinking, she loves me, and you get super excited, but then, oh, she loves me not, and you're super down. Oh, but she loves me. There's more petals on there, and as you're going along, you start getting towards the end if you were like me, and you can kind of forecast what's going to happen, so you might have to pull two off. I mean, it's accidental, but now I'm going to pull two off so that when I get to the very end, it's she loves me, and I'm jumping up and down with the flower that has no petals on it, but she loves me, right? That's what the flower says. I wonder as we get older if sometimes God's not on his throne in heaven looking down at me and he's got that proverbial daisy and he's plucking the petals off of it and he's got a smile on his face. Oh, he loves me today. Oh, uh, it would seem that he loves me not. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. That's what we're going to talk about, and that's what John, I think, is addressing in this letter and in this portion of the letter to the church in Ephesus. Remember, we talked about this in our first time together. We did a little background on the book of Ephesus. We talked about Ephesus itself, that John is writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, in particular, the church in Ephesus. And you'll recall that Ephesus is this large city that's in the center of a trade area. So you got all these trade routes that are coming in to Ephesus. So you got all these outside goods and you've got all these cultural things that are just, just bombarding the people that live in Ephesus. You'll also remember that we talked about the fact that you have the temple to the goddess of fertility, Diana, the fertility goddess. You've got that there in Ephesus and it's this magnificent structure. Matter of fact, it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So John is writing this letter to Christians last week. He was encouraging them. He does encourage them here, but he also gets right to the point. And what he's saying is there's a lot of things that you can love in Ephesus. There's a lot of things that you can love in, in your world, but you can't choose those things and love God. It doesn't work like that, and that's what we're going to see. So today we're going to look, when we look in, in this passage, we're going we're to see a command from John, we're going to see a warning related to that command. We're going to see a promise that he gives us in regards to there's, there's it's really one promise, two promises, but it's one. It's a promise for those that love the Lord, and it's a promise for those that love the world, a promise or a guarantee. And then we're going to end our time together with the decision. So you're going to be faced with the decision, just like his audience was faced with the decision before you leave here. So if you have your Bibles. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There he is, not pulling any punches. For all that is in the world, what are those things? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So what's the command that he gives us? The command he gives us is this, do not love the world or the things in the world. There are a lot of things in the world that want our love allegiance. And John is saying, guard your heart. Do not love these things. One of the commentators said this, as a good pastor, John is warning against the dangers of divided love. He is writing to Christians within the church who enjoy fellowship with God and who love their fellow Christians. Now he finds it necessary to warn them against an attitude which could ruin their fellowship and land them into spiritual destruction, namely the love of the world. So we have a choice. Contrary to what the world may tell you, you can't love them and love God at the same time. You can't devote your life to both God and to the world. And that's what John wants his people to know. And that's hard for us. We're going to talk about some things in a little bit that we all stumble with. It's challenging to be a Christian in our world. But God is saying, if you're going to be my follower, then you need to love me. And you need to love me solely, not the world or the things of the world. So what is this word that he throws around? What's this word love mean? So I got my wife a pedicure for Valentine's Day. That's what she wanted. She told me twice. She got me some gift cards and and some chocolates. I love chocolate. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. He's talking about uh, our desires and our commitment to something, our appetites and our ambitions, the things we invest our time and energy and resources in. It's that thing that you think about when you lay your head on your pillow at night and that thing that you think of first when you wake up in the morning. What drives you? Is it your career? Is it your finances? Is it your retirement account? Is it some person outside of God? If it is, if it is then John says you're in a dangerous place if that's what drives your life. Do not love that. Talks about the world. What in the world do you mean about world? What do you mean by World. When he uses it six times, there's some of that repetition we talked about last week. I'll tell you what he does not mean. He does not mean the created world. He's not talking about planet Earth. That's a blessing that God has given us. So he's not telling us to to hate the Earth. He's not telling us to hate people that inhabit the Earth. That's not what he's about. John said in Genesis, or God... (laughs) The Bible says in Genesis 1.10 that God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called season. God said that it was good. Planet earth is good. John 3.16, John's gospel says, for God so loved the world. It's the people in the world. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. John's not telling us not to love the physical world, and he's not telling us not to love people within the world. We are to love people within the world. We're to love them with the gospel of Christ. We're to love them enough that we go out of our way to share the gospel and the good news of Christ with them. What he is saying that we are not to love is this unredeemed world, this world which is under control of Satan, a world in darkness, and under God's judgment. One commentator said this, John is referring to the organized evil system with its principles and its practices, all under the authority of Satan, including all teachings, ideas, culture, attitudes, activities, etc., that are opposed to God. First John 5, 19, that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, says this, we know that we are from God, and the whole world, the whole cosmos, lies in the power of the evil one. We serve a God that is over all, but right now there is a God that is lording over our world, and it's Satan. And what John is saying is, I know that things outside the walls of the church look appealing. I know that they look fine. I know that they're enticing. But don't give in to those. Don't love those things. Instead, love the Lord. Love the Father. Don't love the things in the world. So John moves from that command to a warning, a warning, uh, a warning that goes along with these things, a warning that goes along with loving the ways of the world. So he says, there's some things that you should consider. He says, if anybody loves the world, then the love of the father's not in him. That's a hard statement, but he wants them to seriously consider who's their love allegiance. Do I love the world or do I love God? Because if I love the world, then the love of the Father's not in me. Is that God's love for me? No, God loves you. It's my love for him. that I can't have both. I told the previous, I told the previous uh, service, my wife of 28 years was seated right over here. I love my wife dearly. But I, she's not going to allow me to have a girlfriend one day out of the year, is she? Wouldn't that be OK? If I love you 364 days out of the year, but one day out of the year, I get a girlfriend on the side, it sounds kind of fun. Is that not okay? What is my wife going to say? She's going to say, you're crazy. But yet, is is that not what we do to God? God, I'm going to love you today. Maybe I'm going to love you all of these petals, but one. But I'm going to love the world. God says, you can't do that. You can't love the world and you can't love me. You've got to love me or you've got to love the world. That's why Jesus Christ said, I'd rather that you were hot or cold, not lukewarm, because when you're lukewarm, you make me sick to my stomach, so I want to spew you out. Either be for me or be against me, either love me or don't love me, because when you don't love me, then I can chase after you. But when you pretend like you love me, what can I do? And that's what John is saying. Consider these things. So what are the ramifications? What are the consequences of loving God? Well, if you love God, you get forgiveness from God. We have fellowship with God. John's already taught us these things. We have adoption into God's family. We have fellowship with one another. That's one of the things that I love about church is you. I love gathering together and being with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't don't get to do that, but maybe once a week for a lot of you. I love that because you encourage me. I love to sit on the front row and listen to those behind me sing their praises to God. I love to look out and see those raising their hand and those bowing their heads because I know they're worshiping my God, their God, our Savior. And that encourages me when I hear us with one voice in unison singing our praises to the Father. That motivates me. That energizes me. And I want to go out into into our world, our world, and share the love of Christ with others partly because of what you have done in my life. We get Jesus as our Savior and our heavenly advocate. We get eternity with God. There's some other ramifications. We also might get temporary pain and suffering. Jesus said, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, then yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So sometimes there's pain and suffering. A lot of times there's pain and suffering. There might be possible loss of family, friends, status, job, position, whatever, because we're taking a stand for Christ. People shun that. They push away from that. We don't do that in an offensive manner. I'm not going out there shoving the gospel of Jesus Christ down people's throats. I'm not going out there and pointing at people that are living worldly and saying, you know what, you're going to hell and you deserve to go to hell. I'm not doing that. I'm going out there to people that are lost in darkness and people that are in a decaying world and I'm being light and I'm being salt and I'm loving them with the love of Christ because somebody did that for me and somebody shared that with me. And because of that, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God. All of these consequences, all of these ramifications I have, these are things to consider and that's what John is saying. Consider these things. If you're going to follow God, this is what you get. If you're going to follow the world... This is what you get. You get acceptance by the world. Well, you say, well, that sounds pretty good, does it? You get fellowship with the masses. You just go on with the flow. It's easy life. I'm going to do what they're doing. Everything's fine. You get your lust fulfilled. Who doesn't want their lust fulfilled? In our flesh, we want that, but in our spirit, that's not right. That's loving the world. We have success in the eyes of the world. Now, listen, don't hear me wrong. It's not bad to be successful unless that's what drives you, and that's what, unless that's what you're investing your life in. I just want to climb that ladder, one more rung. I'm going to get up to the top. Well, you know what? There have been a lot of people in our world that have been successful, climb to the top, and guess what? There's nothing there. It leaves you empty. It leaves you void. Loving the world also has some additional ramifications. Those that love Christ, we might have some pain. We might have some temporary pain and suffering, but if you love the world, what you get in return is eternal pain and suffering. You get loss of everything and everyone. So John is saying, I know, I know what you see outside the walls of the church. I know that looks good, but it's not. It's deceiving, it's deceitful, it's of the devil. Don't give your life to that. Don't love that. Love the things of God. So he talks about some things that are not from God. The first thing he mentions in our passage that's not from God is the, des- the desires of the flesh. That's that uncontrolled desire. It's that lust. Or it's those things in the world that are outside of the will of God which appeal to our appetites. Yes, it's sexual, but it's not just sexual in nature. It's more than that. You know, our our physical appetite. I, I bet you fed yourself this morning. I bet you'll feed yourself this afternoon and you'll probably feed yourself again tonight. But we have to guard that. That can be dangerous. When I do that to an excess, the Bible calls that gluttony. We have to guard against that. Just like we guard against sexual temptation, we guard against physical temptation. That's the desire of the flesh. That's what my flesh wants. And we have to control our flesh through God's Spirit working through us. David Jackman said this, Man's fallen nature so often demands a level of satisfaction, listen, which involves breaking God's laws or running to an uncontrolled excess. The person controlled by his cravings for self-indulgence is not free. He is the devil's prisoner. The world outside the walls of our church looks at us on Sunday mornings and they think they're enslaved to their religion. All it is is don't do this and do do that. It's not that at all. And that's not what John's saying. John's not saying make a list of things that don't do and a list of things to do and abide by those completely. And totally he's not saying that. He's saying fall in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus, that will dictate what you do with your life. It's about a relationship, it's about a love relationship. I do things for my wife, yes, because she's my wife, but I do things for her because I love her. I do things for my children because they're my children. That's my responsibility, but I do it for them because I love them. And that's what John is saying. There are things that we do, the things that we do for God, the way we live our life, it's not to earn His grace, it's not to merit His favor. It's because we already have his grace, because we already have his favor. It's really those that are outside the walls of the church that are enslaved. They're enslaved to sin. And I heard a guy while I was preparing for this message. He had a gentleman in his church who was, well, not in his church, a gentleman in his community that was unbelievably wealthy, filthy wealthy. He was having a conversation with the guy one time and he said, You know, how much is enough? I mean, you, you, there's no way you'll ever spend all of this. How much is enough? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Listen, there's never enough sex. There's never enough possessions. There's never enough money. There's never a big enough house. There's never a nice enough car. If that's what you're living for, it's all going to let you down. You're going to want more, you're going to strive for more, and what's going to happen is you're going to end your life one day, and you're going to realize you chased after these empty dreams, it's like chasing the wind. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon in all of his wisdom chased women, and he chased all these possessions, he chased after all these things, and what did he determine after he had those things? It's vanity of vanity, it's all for naught, it's a waste of time. And you get to the end of Ecclesiastes, and what does Solomon say? He said, here's the final measure of it all. Just love God and serve him. That's what it's about. It's not about what I can acquire, what I can waste my life on. It's about living my life for Christ. John has in mind any desire, any sinful interest that that draws us away from God or at least makes continuing fellowship with him impossible. The desires of the flesh. So I'm a turkey hunter. I like to kill big toms. Isn't that terrible? I apologize if you don't like that. But they taste, they taste so good. This is my favorite call. Now, I, I can sit in my office and make this sound so pretty. It sounds just like a turkey hen. It'll probably sound terrible in front of all of you. But I'm going to try it, okay? Because I want to prove a point. So I, I camo up. I hide under a cedar tree. I try not to move. I have my shotgun rested on my knee, and out in the field at my lease is a big old Tom turkey with a giant beard and a big fan, and he's strutting around with these 20 turkey hens out there like I'm somebody. Well, let's just see how much of a ladies' man you really are, Tom. Tom. And all of a sudden, his head perks up. He may have 20 hens around him, but he knows, you know what? There's another one, and she's lonely, because that's what that says. I'm lonely, and I'm looking for a man. That's what that said right there. (laughs) So you know what he does? He gobbles. And here's what's amazing about turkey hunting. It's completely against what happens in nature naturally. She calls, he gobbles, Typically what happens is she says, she's saying, where are you? I'm looking for you. And he says, go, I'm over here. I'm over here with all my other ladies. Come join us. And she goes, okay, I'll be right over. And she makes her way over to him and she joins the flock. But in turkey hunting, it doesn't work like that. I call, he calls, he's interested. I call, he leaves his twenty. And because of his fleshly desire, he comes over to me. And do you know what happens? <laughs> if you got young children here, watch out, because i got a picture. That's what happens. <laughs> Turkey sandwich. You know what? That is a silly illustration. But it's true, isn't it? The desires of our flesh, they, they captivate us. What, what does he need? What does a tom turkey need with another hen? He's already got 20. Isn't that enough? No, it's not because I want more. Just one more. Just one more girlfriend. Just one more experience. Just one more dollar. Just one more possession. Just one more amount of, of education that goes on the end of my name. Just one more. Just drive me for one more. That's what I want. And John says, listen, that's good, and we need need people with education, and we need good things. But when, when your flesh drives you to the point, if that's what you love over God, you're in a dangerous, dangerous place. And like that turkey, it may cost you your life. Second thing he talks about are the desires of the eyes. This is man's desire to acquire at any means possible the things that we see with our eyes. It's covetousness. You know, I think about David when I think about the desires of the eyes. You know the story. David's on the rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he should have turned away right then, but he didn't. His eyes desired something. Really, he commits all three of these. Desires of the eyes turns to desire of the flesh, turns to pride of life. I think you could sum up the story of David and Bathsheba in one sentence. I see her, I want her, and I'll have her. I guess that's three sentences. I see her, I want her, I'll have her. So what does he do? He allows his lust to lead to pride and covetousness, which honestly leads to rape. He raped Bathsheba, which leads to pregnancy of another man's wife, which leads David to try and cover it up so he lies about it. and He deceives her husband. Her husband's a better man than David is. So what's he do? He finally has her husband killed, sends him with his own death sentence into battle. And he's on he finds himself on the front lines, and he's dead, and David thinks, "I've got it all figured out. I' figured it out. I've covered it up." You know that David's life was never the same since that, and it all started with the desires of the eyes. You may struggle with that. I struggle with these things from time to time. Uh, A really funny thing happened this morning, so I've got this deep-rooted desire to have a four-wheel drive truck. Now, if you've got unbelievable wealth, please don't buy me a truck, because that's just going to ruin what God's trying to teach me. So, (laughs) I'm just being honest. So this morning, I get here, and one of the first things one of my fellow staff members says is, well, my truck's messing up. He's got an old truck. By the way, he told me to tell you that it's for sale. If you can fix it, he'll, yeah, good deal. He said, but I'm going to, I've been talking with my wife, and uh, I'm going to get a new truck. I'm like, ah. I'm going to get a brand new four-wheel drive, quad cab Chevy Silverado, and I'm just, no! <clears throat> He's going to get one. Jason has one already. It's a, it's a Nissan, and Aaron's got an F-150. They're all four-wheel drive. None of them need four-wheel drive. <laughs> I need four-wheel drive. And I go, God, what are you doing? If you would just drop that F-150 all-electric four-wheel drive vehicle in my driveway, God, that would be a blessing. God says, no. No. And he says, don't you remember the story of the rich young ruler came to me and he was doing all these things right, but there was something that had his heart? So Jesus told him, go and sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor and then come follow me because Jesus knew that his throne was occupied, the throne of his heart was occupied. And if he really wanted to follow Jesus, then he would get rid of those things that owned his heart, that had his allegiance. And then Jesus would come and reside in him and be his Lord and give him all these blessings that we talked about a while ago. And the rich young ruler says, nope. And that's what John is saying. There's so many things out there that want your love allegiance. There's so many things that are after you, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. I see it, I want it. I'm gonna get it no matter what. Maybe it's not a truck, maybe it's those new sneakers or maybe it's that new iPhone that has the cinema mode when you do video with it. Ooh, that's nice. Or maybe it's a dress or maybe it's a house or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. When your possessions, possessions possess you, you're in trouble. And that's what John is saying. The third thing that he mentions is the pride of life. This is man's boasting of what he has, what he does, and who he is. It's an arrogant, arrogant spirit of self sufficiency. Look what I've made of myself. Look what I've requ- required. And theirs is always better than yours. It's about making sure when somebody addresses you, if you got your doctorate, they call you doctor. I get it, I understand. It's the pride of life. And John says that's dangerous. When that's what drives you, your status or your employment or your position, that's dangerous. Speaking along the lines of vehicles, I remember several, several years ago when our children were little, Rachel and I got a new vehicle. It was an old vehicle, but it was a new vehicle to us. And I was so excited to tell some of my friends about this vehicle because it was going to take care of our needs, as a young family with three young children. So I remember there was one friend in particular that had a vehicle just like this vehicle that we bought. Same year, same make, same model, different color. So I was so excited to go tell that friend. So I did, I went up and said, hey, guess what we bought this weekend? We got a vehicle just like yours. It's the same make, it's the same model, it's the same year, it's just a different color. And I thought they were gonna be like, oh, that's awesome, you're gonna love that. That's a great family vehicle. But you know what they said? They said, Well, mine has less miles than yours. (laughs) What? Mine has less that's that's silly. You're right. That's what I you're right. Yours is better than mine. Pride of life. So what's John doing? he's warned us, he's reminding us that there are some things, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, some things that we need to consider, some things that are not from God. And he wants us to know that the key is what defines my life. So how do you know? You you may be seated out there thinking, oh my goodness, maybe maybe, maybe I do love the world more than I love God. How do I know? Well, David Allen gives us some Signs that we love the world more than we love God. Um, That's not it. That's not it. That's it. Just look at these and listen. Some signs that you love the world. When the world or any object in it engrosses your thoughts to such a degree that it excludes serious reflection of the things of God. In other words, the things of the world have pushed God out of your life. When the things of the world occupy most of your conversation... What do you talk about? What do you invest your time in? Where's your money go? Where are your energies? When you're unwilling to part with this world when need be, or to give it or anything in it up to God's purposes. When you are discontent with your portion of the world's goods, grateful for what I have, but I want more. I want better. When you pursue the world with greater zeal and enjoy it with higher relish than you do serving God and enjoying His favor. When you pride yourself in earthly distinctions, you better refer to me by the correct title. When you expect great reverence and resent the least contradiction or slight from others. When you seek to acquire or retain the world's objects in a wrong manner or by unwarranted means, if this describes you, you may be worldly. And that's a dangerous place to be. So what does he give us after that? He gives us a promise. He says this in 1 John 2 17a, to those that have, first part of verse 17, he says, to those that have bought into the lie and have given their allegiance to the world, he said, the world is passing away along with its desires. Remember, John's this elderly apostle. And he has a deep love for the church. He's got a lot of wisdom. And he's saying to them, listen, it d- doesn't make any sense to chase those things. I'll say this to the young people here. It doesn't make any sense to chase the dollar or to chase the status or to chase the possessions because they're all going to burn up. They're all for naught. So don't give your life to that. Provide for your family. That's good. Yes, it's it's wrong for me to not provide for my family. So I get up and I go to work and I earn a living so that I can pay my bills and so that I can pay for vehicles so we can get around and so that I can pay for a house so that we can live and have that. that. That's responsibility, but that doesn't drive my life. And that's what John is saying. If that drives your life and you see it, just turn on the news, just turn on the television, just get the tabloids out. And sometimes we sit back and we scratch our heads because we think, look at these people. They have everything that the world has to offer and they're so happy. They don't have any problems. That's just what you see on the outside. On the inside, they're empty and they're void and they're lost and they're enslaved to sin. They don't have the forgiveness of Christ. They don't have things that last, they have things that do not last. You have one life to invest. And John is saying, invest it in the things of God, not the things of the world, because those things don't last. But then there's a promise for those of us that are following Christ. It's the latter part of verse 17. He says this, whoever does the will of God abides forever. When we love God, When we deny ourselves and we take up our cross daily and we follow him, he blesses us with life and everlasting life. Things that last, things that matter. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 16, 25, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I like what Billy Sunday, old preacher from some time ago, used to be a professional baseball player, turned preacher, evangelist. If we had a pulpit here and he was preaching, he'd stand up on the pulpit and pound the pulpit and holler at you. And here's what Billy Sunday had to say. Where's he at? There he is. Look at that. It makes no more sense to talk about a worldly Christian than it does to talk about a heavenly devil. Can't love the world and love God. So here's the decision. Who do you love? Who do you love? You love the world or do you love God. And what will loving what you love cost you? What's it going to cost you? Is it going to cost you your soul for all of eternity? That's what the world gives you in return for you giving them your heart. But what God gives you is grace and mercy and forgiveness and an eternity with him. Don't sacrifice your soul's for what the world has to offer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. It's hard, Lord. I make mistakes. I mess up. But Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient. Father, we've even, we've even learned from what John has taught us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just and you'll forgive us of our sins and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do stumble at times, Father. We give in to the desires of the flesh The desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Even as Christians, we do that, but that doesn't define our lives. But Father, if we're seated here today and all we care about are the things of the world, we're in trouble. But Father, you love us and you sent your son to die on the cross for us to pay that sin penalty. You offer us grace if we'll just give you our hearts. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that whatever is occupying the throne of their heart, they would kick that off and they would welcome you home. Father, if there are Christians here and they're toying with the things of the world, they look so good. I want that. I want what's outside of my marriage or I want what's outside of God's will. God, would you break their hearts and bring them to the point of repentance? and draw them back into right relationship with you because what the world has to offer, it'll just let them down. It doesn't last. It's not permanent. Father, move as only you can move in the hearts of those that are present here today. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.